HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village and every dollar donated Every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Allison Marchesani-Ackerman, a brand strategy and digital marketing consultant based in New York. Allison spent four years at Sir Kensington's helping to grow it from small challenger brand through the Unilever acquisition. Now she works with small growing brands like ours in the natural foods industry, helping them identify their core consumer communication strategy, and impactful tactics that they can actually afford. 
Allison has worked with brands including, what's U.S. Us? Is it called Us? It says something like U.S. exclamation point. Oh, Us. That's Haven's Kitchen. Oh, Us. <laughs> us. Yeah, sorry. Killing it. No. Like us. You would have to pay me a lot to edit that out. Oh my gosh. No, Matt, keep it. That's so funny. I was like, US one? No. That's us. I wrote us. You didn't even write that. That's so funny. I think I maybe wrote it. No, anyway. Um, Belgian boys. (laughs) Stephanie Izzard's This Little Goat, Besties, Medley Foods, and 55 Farmers, amongst others. That was really funny. Matt, you're totally not editing that. Uh, hi, Allison. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Welcome, welcome. Um, so there's a lot that I want to get into because we actually, I think, came to you with a pretty solid grasp on who we were as a brand. We've had seven years to think about it. Our issue, and I think anyone who's listened to me on this podcast a lot, will know that sometimes I just feel like we had so many things to talk about and um, a lot of I thought we could kind of do it on our own for a while, and then I met you and uh, realized that we kind of needed you, So, um, and then you did an amazing job helping us figure out that strategy. So I do want to give some of that to other founders. Of course. But before we get into all of that, um, tell me about yourself as a kid. Were you a communications person? Were you an extrovert? What did you want to be? Always, All that. I've always really valued clear communication. That's something I remember, you know, bursting into tears sometimes as a child because I couldn't get my point across. Yeah. I've always been a big fan of words. Like I'm a huge reader. Um, my mom enforced a very strict one hour of power rule and awesome. we didn't have cable. So I had right. a lot of time to read and, um, and play pretend and be creative and uh, that that really was core to Where who were I you? was. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you had like a pretty suburban country Yeah, uh, not country. You know, I lived... <laughs> Can you tell in, I'm a New Yorker? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, where exactly People ask that? if right. it's like a lot of barns. Uh, right. Indianapolis <laughs> is a pretty good-sized city. Right, So yes. I, I lived in like a suburban neighborhood growing yes. up. got it. Yeah. Okay. And were you... Um, like I remember the my feelings about Lucky Charms. I remember them viscerally. I remember the Barbie van with like the Barbie logo. I mean, it was not the same as like the Cindy van. Were you a brand person too? I was uh, primarily because my dad is a marketer. Um, ah. So I had the great opportunity to learn about brands from someone who was an expert. And right. I remember sitting at the kitchen table and my dad showing me like brand colors and talking about brand oh, names. fun. Um, yeah. He worked in pharma marketing. So uh, brand cool. names was a big part of like creating sure. a brand name with identity and strength. Yeah. And it means this because it... it addresses this disease or this condition. Um, And I remember thinking that was so cool. That is cool. Um, That was really my only young exposure to marketing. Um, And I think I was aware of brands because we talked about them at the kitchen table. Right. No, definitely. Um, That's amazing. Were you a food person? I was. Very early on, I became a vegetarian out of sheer stubbornness. I didn't want to eat one single meat meal. And my mom (laughs) thought that meant I was a vegetarian. And I really dug my (laughs) heels in. And I did it for 12 years. Wow. So um, during that time, I tried a lot of new things. Um, You know, I remember eating halloumi very young. And I remember eating, you know, different cuisines that had more veggie options. Right. And uh, that got me into food, even though now I'm a you know, total omnivore. Right. I, that really got me into the experimental mindset. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because most vegetarian foods, you know, in and of themselves, whether it's like tofu or yeah. seitan, they need 
they need something, and that's when you tend to experiment, when you're like kind of doctoring things up or Absolutely. saucing them, in our case. Yeah. Um, how'd you end up at Sir Kensington's, and what'd you study, oh, what'd you want to be first when you grew up, then what'd you end up studying, and then how'd you end up at Sir Kensington's? I had an early love for volunteering. My parents cultivated like a great spirit of volunteering in our mm. family, and I really, I didn't know what to call it, but I wanted to help people when mm -hmm. I grew up. Um, I had an amazing high school teacher that, uh, he was an economics teacher who introduced me to the concept of behavioral economics, and I actually ended up studying that in college with a minor in poverty studies, which was this interdisciplinary oh. approach to how to get people out of cyclical poverty. Right. Um, because of that, I really believed in the work of Teach for America and then did that after I graduated college. Oh, cool. Um, so even, I didn't you know, know you did Teach for America. Yeah, I did. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. I spent two years teaching high school in my hometown, Indianapolis. Right. And it was an incredible experience. That's amazing, yeah. I absolutely loved it, but was pretty burnt out at the end. Right. Um, I feel like another guest was a behavioral economist. I know that's weird, but it's, Matt, <laughs> do you remember having a behavioral economist on? <laughs> uh, a behavioral economist? Yeah. Do we have another guest who is a behavioral economist? No. Should I remember uh, that? No, I don't know. I just thought we did. Anywho. Um, it's it plays so really well into marketing. Yeah. It, it's all about how people think and make decisions. Right. And I didn't know it at the time. Uh, I had no plans to be a marketer, but right. I exited Teach for America very burnt out yeah. and uh, worked briefly for an ed tech company, but it was one of those like too close to mm -hmm. students and direct impact, yep. but too far. Yeah, So I, I didn't enjoy that work. Um, and then a friend of a friend knew Zach Kazaniga, who was uh -huh. at Sir Kensington's at the time, and they were hiring a position in Chicago. Uh, and I, I applied and interviewed, and it was sort of... You know, needle in a haystack, yeah. got my foot in the door that way and spent, you know, four awesome years there. And then what did it look like by the end? Like, what was your trajectory? What were you doing? Yeah, in the beginning, I was doing field marketing under Pat Jemay. Right. And so I really was in charge of Who the was Chicago. on this podcast. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Pat was here. Um, and, you know, Pat taught me a lot about in-store relationships and moving product off mm -hmm. the shelf. And I had a great time doing that. Um, simultaneously, I was developing a food blog, um, mm -hmm. which I used to write and now have sort of like a semi-retired, you know, food Instagram that I run. Right. Um, and when the position opened up for a digital marketer, it was like a social media marketer on the headquarters team for Sir Kensington's. Right. I applied and they gave me the opportunity um, to move cool. into that role and I moved to New York. Um, and over time, I really started saying yes to more projects. I mean, we were growing so quickly and the team um, had so many opportunities to yep. learn new things at the time. So I was... I kept saying yes, and I learned digital marketing, and then I, you know, dabbled in all sorts of different marketing projects, and uh, really evolved into uh, the director of digital marketing and communications there. Which is amazing because I didn't even really know that, but basically that's what Maddie's trajectory yes. is. I mean, I said to her, I don't know if you, we've talked about this. I basically gave her a job description for herself three years from now, and I was like just learn all of these things so that you can just be this job in three years. And the, you know, a big chunk of it is digital these days. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so you're teaching her a lot of what she's learning. Yeah. Okay. And then you left with, you know, after four years and did you think about going to another brand or how, you know, are you consulting kind of as a side gig or are you thinking maybe it was kind of a side gig, but now it's a gig gig? I originally started consulting because I felt 
myself needing some additional creativity. So I've been thinking about condiments and condiments only for a really long time. And I had some friends starting brands. Um, Actually, my friend Kyle started a brand called Besties Sparkling Tea, and he was my first real project that I worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I did it pro bono. I asked Mark and Scott, the founders of Sir Kensington's, for permission, and they both were like, sure, of course, like help a friend out, no issues there. It's also good for your creative juices to flow. I like it when people have side projects. Absolutely. And it really turned out to be a great fit and great for my creativity. And then I, I took on a second one while I was still at Sir Kensington's and really the path sort of opened up. I realized I did have this incredible network of founders and, you know, other Sir Kensington's alumni going Mm -hmm. to amazing companies where I could do the work that was making me so happy. Um, I realized that building brands and and working on brand strategy was something that I loved better than anything else I worked on. And unfortunately, being in-house at a single brand, it it doesn't really, you don't do that work all the time. And so it came about, um, yeah, as this side project sort of to keep my creativity high and then really transitioned into an opportunity that I'm so happy to take. Um, Eventually, I might go back in-house, but at, at the moment, I think, you know, leaving Sir Kensington's was like a, a breakup almost. Yeah. It was, I had loved it so much and, and been there for a long time. And yeah, had these it was your relationships. first love. <laughs> it was my first love. Yeah. yeah. I, I always tell Mark and Scott, it was the first job I ever really loved. Yeah. And so I definitely didn't feel ready to get back into right. another brand and give them that same energy. I just was drained of that energy yeah. at the time. Um, so it has been a really great transition. And I think, I mean, for, for the, those of us like emerging, right. I mean, the, the goal of this conversation really is to sort of see like, you know, obviously it'd be great to, for everyone to be able to hire someone like you. And candidly, it did not break the bank because you were very mindful of that. And I think your intention is to work with small brands. And so you might be getting a lot of, you know, DMs, but if we can't afford someone like you, um, we're going to get into sort of what Allison did for us, what, if you can do for yourself, you should try to do. Um, and we'll sort of break down brand identity. I think, you know, the way to communicate that identity and then take that into the digital sphere. You think that's a good, I think so. Okay, great. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back and do all of that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Located in New York's Finger Lakes region, Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. Oh, 
I'm back with Allison Marchesani. Ackerman. Really, Matt? <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I'm back with Allison Marchesani Ackerman, and I'm super excited to get into the nitty gritty of brand communication and strategy. And I'm thinking that the best way to do this is to really use Havens as a case study. So I'm pretty forthcoming about what we've got good and what we need to work on. Um, so obviously this is just, it's a, it's a, I think a vehicle for us to talk about larger things, but kind of through us. So communication. Okay. I mean, how do you even th think about communication, right? Like we're a brand, we have, uh, let's take the school out for a second. We have the sauce your goals and your and like the why of why you exist can't be because we want to sell sauce. There has to be something deeper. And that something deeper has to translate into all the ways that you communicate with everyone. Is that a Absolutely. basic gist? Yes, it is. And I think um, importantly, you know, to sell sauce is of course the business objective, you know, right. to sell anything is the business objective of your business if it's a for-profit business. Um, but I think there is some kernel at the core of every business that is bigger than that, that is aspirational, that is the, the thing. The why. Yeah, the yeah. why, the thing that brings your team together or the thing that gets you up and out of bed every day to do the work that needs to be done, even if you're just a solopreneur like me. Like you, there has to be some... What would your... What's yours? I love to teach. Yeah. I love to collaborate and teach. And I think um, it actually took me a while after I left Sir Kensington's to realize that, that it was the teaching and the mentoring that, that I love. And, and I love that collaborative spirit yeah. with the brands. So, so once you kind of, I mean, how, how did you do it with us, right? How did you get us to, because we had, we knew kind of what we stood for yeah. and we knew that we wanted to, you know, get people cooking more often and we knew we wanted to make them feel more confident and, you know, we had all these things, but what was the process with us that you use that you would suggest a team using either internally or with you? With an existing brand, uh, someone like Havens, especially you, your team is very self-aware and almost, I would say, probably had the most, uh, brand lexicon and the most brand work that has that I've seen of any of my clients. We've been around for a while. Been around yeah. for a while. I've had clients that are almost as old as you, but they haven't spent that time and mm -hmm. and so they may have less and it may be more disorganized. You had a pretty good sense of what your brand stood for. It was just a lot. Yeah. Like we talked about this early on. Your brand was uh was standing for too many things and, yep. and when you stand for everything you stand for nothing. Yeah. Um and so really I think with Havens the big initial part of the process was sort of this phase one where I hold up a mirror to your brand and mm -hmm. I do a brand audit and I do research in your competitive set and I interview or survey depending on how many people there are uh, people from the team with your team we did that great brand visioning exercise where, where everyone, we were like if we were a dog what dog would we yeah, be yeah, or yeah, yeah. if we that. were like a, if we were a shoe what would right. we be and we all saw you know Allie's favorite shoes which was funny <laughs> to see the, the founder identity show up as part right. of the brand identity and um, and we did that and then I pulled together sort of key insights and sort of the most salient points about your brand and then I held them up to you and the team and I asked if it resonated. Right. And that's a really important part for me because the communication has to be built on the truth. So how many how many of those can you have like how many sort of like 
what what did you just you said something like you held you held up the mirror, the mirror. Mm-hmm. and there were five things that we stood for or like how many things should you stand for or what's the you know what do you I think you should have uh, like a main thing that you stand for that right. that should be core and underneath that main pillar uh, I think three to five supporting messages is about all you can do and I think a fifth supporting message that often is hidden is sort of like retail sell marketing yeah. sell the product yeah. right which people don't really want to talk about right but I think some brands are very clear we stand for two things and selling the product and that's that's really all those Brands are very black and white. It's an easy time marketing. Can you give an like example that. of brands kind of in the cultural lexicon that we would all know that you could break down like what the main vision is and then maybe what those two things plus sell the product oh, would sure. be? Oh, um, sure. I think uh, a great example uh, is Patagonia. Okay. I think they really have a strong core and they stand for the environment, but they also stand for performance gear. Mm -hmm. And I think as you look down into their messaging, they have really clear messaging around the environment and the impact of your clothes, including programs such as like, you know, return it and repair it. Ads like don't buy another one. Don't buy anything. Of course. Yeah. And what do people do? They they They're buy things, super iconic, right? They, yeah. yeah, they uh, of course do. And then, of course, they have advertising and communication that goes out around how performance ready their right. things are. I think Red Bull is a similar one yeah. to go to the CPG space. It Red Bull gives you wings, right? Yep. It, it's this idea of the, uh, it, it lets you do like what you dream of. It lets right. you do these wild and crazy things. And then also their sell the product message is usually around like clubbing and like nightlife and right. that sort of thing. Right. And I think those are really two strong messages that they have. I don't see them branching much out of that. Right. Of course, they like have sub messages, I'm sure, that they're putting out to some communities. But for the most part, they're right. really putting out two key messages. And then you used a word that I think is really critical in there, which is truth, yeah. right? Because we were talking earlier and we're not going to throw any brands under the bus. But there are some brands out there, you know, you go to Expo West and everyone you know, can kind of launch a new fill-in-the-gap product. And it does seem to me a little bit like their their core mission is just the product. Yeah. Like, I don't know that there there's any underlying truth or, like, core vision to it. I could be wrong. I um, see that a lot in Me Too products. I mean, like, right. like, oh, jerky is so hot right now. If you're the 20th jerky on the market, it's a lot of times you're just making it to capitalize on that interest. Right. Um, a lot of the keto products, you're seeing that too, just because it, or CBD, it's just very hot right now. Right. And so you see people really jumping in there. They may have a kernel of truth. And, and I think part of the work that I do is finding, even if your truth is economic opportunity. Right. Or your truth is a better version of exactly. what you see out there in prettier packaging. And both of those right. can be truths. And I think it's really important to use those with integrity and right. use those as as really part of your brand foundation. Because right. if you pretend to be Patagonia and have this global, you know, like environmental right. mission and you really are based on selling more jerky or, right. you know, sorry, jerky industry. Like you're no, mad, I mean, but. you know, they've taken a little bit of a, yeah. they had a high rise and right, a little right, bit right. of a oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and so then basically is step one, would you say, figure out the core of the core, like figure out the why of the company. Figure out the why and figure out what the brand stands for. And I think um, those really drive me to create sort of the top of my brand hierarchy, which is that engine that drives the brand. And also then the brand's 
promise to consumers. So right. they promise to deliver a certain type of product. Sometimes ingredient claims are in there. Sometimes it's a, more of a feeling, like we promise you'll feel this right. way. Like for us, it's about confidence. Yes. Yeah. Right. For Havens, it's all about confidence and building that. Um, it, it really builds from what drives you. If, if you're making a better something, probably your promise is going to be, how is it better? Right. How are you delivering, delivering a better promise to your consumers? If your prom, if your um, driver is more about in emotions, you're maybe promising something a little different, how the consumer's going to feel. So in our case, you know, very specifically, the reason I started Havens, the cooking school, was environmental sustainability, period. Like, cooking from scratch, proven better for the environment, better for like farm labor laws, better for um, all sorts of anything having to do with growing and farming and whatnot. It is also better for your personal health mm-hmm. and, you know, building, nurturing relationships, et cetera. But for me, it was from a sustainability perspective. That is not as big a part of the message for the sauces because what kind of happened was it morphed into, you know, the the school became more than just about cooking is good for the environment. It What started to happen was we started to see people really feel stronger and more capable and happier and more engaged because they felt like they could cook themselves dinner. Absolutely. But I didn't want to lose the sustainability part. So can you talk about kind of how you figure out the hierarchy a little bit and how you how you got us to where we're at? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, with Havens, in this specific example, one of the things we all talked about was that sustainability in a CPG product isn't something that happens right. overnight. Because we're selling things in plastic pouches. Exactly. That can be recycled, but still, <laughs> yes. they're plastic pouches. Yes. Right. And, and I think... Um, we all felt on the Havens team, when we looked at the truths and we looked at what everyone believed and could rally around, we also felt very strongly about being transparent. Yep. And so sustainability became a supporting message for your team because we still wanted it there. Like you said, right. we wanted to be honest about the roots of the brand, but it became more about seasonal cooking right. supported by Havens Kitchen yep. Sauces. And I think that happens a lot. I think um, sometimes it's very aspirational what you're saying in your supporting messages. So I worked on a brand once that's a sugar-free product that Mm -hmm. has real ambitions around making the world a naturally sweeter place and working on juvenile diabetes research and working on dietary shifts and working on sugar labeling in the United States. Those things are amazing. This is a one-man team and it's not really something he's doing right now. So what does making the world a sweeter place look like? Well, for him, he decided that actually extreme positivity was going to be making the world sweeter right now. Yeah. So it shows up on product, it shows up on social media, and over time, the naturally sweeter place will involve right. thought leadership or it will involve donating and, and right. charitable giving and all that. But, you know, it's not a reality right now. And right. I think Havens can very much grow into that sustainability message right. and it can grow in its importance over time. Yeah, no, 100%. I think it just felt super hypocritical. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, making Romesco from scratch is probably a more sustainable way to go. But at the end of the day, if people don't want to do that and they want something quick and delicious and they, it will be the decision, should I order in or should I cook from scratch? 
and go to my, like swing by the farmer's market on my way home and buy some asparagus, we feel like our product leads to that, but it certainly couldn't be sort of like the mission statement right. of the sauce. Not yet. And I, right. I always believe that these strategies should be fluid. You know, where I worked on my first couple strategies was at Sir Kensington's and we had such a strong brand identity, but different things came into focus over time. Right. And that is such an important part of a brand. So we talked about this. I gave you a PowerPoint doc, right? Yes. Not a PDF because right. I want you to continue to evolve it over time. Maybe you'll call me and engage me. Maybe right. your team will do it on your own, but I think over time it won't be static. That would never work. And also certain trends and changes yep. may bring yeah. some things to the top, may push some Absolutely. things to the bottom. No, and, I saw it with Havens. I saw the mission statement change in a way and it wasn't because of something we weren't doing. It was because of something we end up that we were doing that we didn't even intentionally mean to do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I didn't realize that this was going to be a place that made so many people feel so good, yeah. you know? And Such so gift. it's so cool, yeah. you know? I mean, it was really awesome. So let's talk about that document because I don't have it in front of me, which would have been the smart thing to do. But basically at the top of it, there is, there is the driver, the driver, the real engine, why your brand started and, and why, why it exists. And for us... I'm trying to remember what, I remember that it has, I mean, I know why our brand exists, but I wanted to like get the wordsmithing right, but I don't have it in front of me. So I want, after the driver and why the brand exists, then there's. What you promise to your customers. Okay. And consumers, right? Because we all have customers and consumers. You've got Whole Foods, but you've also got the people. me and my cart. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then underneath that, there were the sort of the, the, individual sort of, yep. what do you call those? I call them the main message and supporting message. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel over here. I think okay. the main message can sometimes be a brand tagline, which for you guys, we did like ours enough right. to make it the brand new brand tagline, which is exciting. That doesn't always happen. And right. sometimes brands like are very, I have a brand that I work for that has like 20 taglines. They love it. Right. Yes. I like, I like, to, I mean, taglines are fun. Yeah, they're so fun. Um, and then basically underneath that kind of main message, then there are the supporting messages. Mm -hmm. Now here's where I really want to like help brands because for us, whether I was like making a pitch deck or we were doing Instagram or an interview, even the baristas talking about the sauces, like every single, and this is what the, the heart of the matter. The communication strategy basically is like this umbrella where every single touch point between the brand and the consumer, whoever that is, in any format, whether it's in real life or digital or on the street, all comes to the same message. Yeah. And everyone is on the same page about that message and it is very clear and I've never been able to do that in seven years because, uh, you know, people used to call it an elevator pitch or whatever, and I would talk for six hours. I mean, <laughs> clearly everyone who listens to this knows I'm long-winded, so imagine me trying to sum up what Haven's Kitchen is. It's so hard when it's your baby. I mean, so hard. And yeah. imagine me then trying to sum up what the sauces are. I go back to like 2008, mm -hmm. when, you know, when I started thinking about building right. a cooking school. So... It's just, that's what communication ultimately means. And for us, we thought we could do it internally because we had kind of so many messages. How hard could it be to, to narrow it into one thing that everyone can say? But we couldn't. And so part of the question is a little bit like a softball throwing up in the air, but 
The other is like, why do you think it's really helpful to have someone from the outside help you with it? Someone once called me a brand therapist, which yep. I, I, I really appreciated uh, and took very seriously. Yeah. Um, I, I can, I listen to all the team and I, I hear what resonates. I, I hear you know, this, the person in operations said this and so did the founder and so did this investor because some of my clients bring in, you know, the, their investors, some people bring in their advisors, their mentors. Right. I, I end up sometimes In our hearing, case, you sat in the cafe for a day. Yes. Then you took a few classes. Mm-hmm. Then you went to an event. Yes. Yeah, I really did <laughs> then, a lot. Yeah, you were just like touch pointing every part of the brand. And right. I heard so many different things, but I also heard some things over and over and over and right. over again. And I think that is why bringing someone in from the outside who has the time yeah. to do that, uh, who also is looking for certain things. I mean, I'm, I've got my eyes peeled and I don't have the same, of course I knew Havens and I knew people who worked at Havens mm-hmm. and I had been into the cafe once or twice, you know, but I, I didn't have a lot of baggage around right. Havens. And so I, I could really see through the noise to what was rising, rising up. Just curiously, do you remember what was rising up for you? We don't have to talk about the actual messages, but what did rise up for you? This idea of being the cafe and event space, this like niche within New York, which mm-hmm. is a loud and crazy place. Uh, like a haven? It was a haven. Yeah. I, honestly, it, it lived yeah. up to that name so strongly. I think um, seasonal food really came mm-hmm. up so much and simple elevation came yeah. up so, so much. Um, inclusivity of a space and also of your team was yeah. a big theme that came up. Um, I'm trying to think of... Yeah, I mean, those ended up being sort of the main messages. Yeah. Did you find when you were interviewing all of us, because we had a few group sessions and then we did individual things, mm-hmm. did you find that having the founder in the room changes the way that people um, respond or talk about the brand? Are people scared to to say stuff? I don't know in I mean, your specific in case. case yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I don't think in your case it really did change. In some cases it is. Um, and also in some cases the founder is so core to the identity. Right. Um, it came up, I mentioned this earlier, like shoes, when we were doing the brand shoes, right. your shoes, people were like, these are the shoes Allie likes. And, and <laughs> it's so funny. I don't even remember. I don't remember what they I, were either. I remember there were like, I do remember that the if if Havens were an animal, were basically like me in an animal. Yes, yeah. like I was an otter. Right. There was a like a lab, and there was like a mother bear and a yeah. hen or yeah. something. I was Absolutely. like, oh, those are all just me. And you recognize that in the a session, totally. you're like, hey, wait, these are me, right? Like, because we play essences with my kids all the time. Yeah. So, but then the shoe thing, I remember there was like there were sneakers, mm-hmm. but they were kind of like clean and sleek sneakers. There were clogs. Mm-hmm. Two people did flats. Right. No one did a stiletto, no. for example, right. which was a very good, you know, in that case, like, it's fun to do this because we are clearly not a stiletto brand. And if I, as of the course. founder, wanted us to be like, we're the stilettos of sauces, clearly we were doing something wrong. Exactly. Um yeah, I think the founder can be such a role in in the brand identity, and I think it's just appropriate to decide when that is really good and when right. it's time to sort of create more separation. I think if Havens the brand were really just you, I I think it that's fine, but 
but from your team and from you, I very much got the sense that it wasn't. So no. it just came up in moments occasionally right. where, where, you know, but being maternal and, and being this like the mother bear concept actually is very much in line with the direction yes. we went. And that's, I think that is an extension of you, but also now has become its own identity within right. the brand. We like to think of ourselves as like the Glinda, the good witch. Yes. Yes. Um, which is kind of my favorite metaphor for anything because she, Dorothy was wearing the slippers the whole time. Exactly. Glinda just told her how to click them. Yes. Um, okay. So let's talk about content relating to, so we've sort of established like what the communication sort of system needs to look like. And, and what I was saying to Allison before the show is like, what's been really cool. It's almost been very subtle is our Instagram I feel like was, you know, you can tell that it's not um, polished. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You can see that it's like definitely done by me with Maddie's support. Um, but it, I think it was a little like catalytic for a long time. Like it was kind of everything that either I wanted to say or was going on in the space or something that we, you know. And I just feel like after our communications work, Everything we post matches one of those key messages. So whether it's about community or it's about you building confidence or it's about like fresh food and eating seasonally, there isn't, I don't think, a post except maybe for Maddie singing that time <laughs> where I just loved it so much that doesn't kind of match one of those brand messages. And I think, I mean, you'll tell me, but how do you think we've done from your communication strategy that you did with us, kind of interpreting it into, do you feel like it's yes. more integrated? And I see things it. Are I see it. When I first, of course, when I get a new client, I always follow along. That's part yeah. of the audit is what are they saying? Instagram becomes the easiest place yeah. for most brands to communicate because it is free most times yeah. and it's, you know, quick and easy to get up and it's very important for people to see. Yeah. Um, and I do remember thinking, that your account was a lot, like it had yeah. just a lot going on. And you just couldn't tell what we did exactly. exactly. It right. was, a, yeah, it was too many things. And then you end up with not everyone seeing each post. And I think you guys have done a really remarkable job of, of sort of making it a little bit more systematic. And I think one of the biggest wins, you know, now that I've been mentoring Maddie on more of an ongoing basis mm -hmm is hearing from her how much easier it's gotten to plan. Yeah. And hearing, you know, when I hear from a young woman or man who's managing social media and that takes up like 80% yeah, of their time, a lot of time or, you know, not, it wasn't all the way to 80, but, but right. it takes up a big chunk of their time. That's one of the things I know is there's a issue there is that right. they don't know exactly what they're supposed to operate to. And they're just operating towards like the algorithm and getting likes. Yep. And, and that's so hard because no one really knows what that means. Right. Um, and I think hearing from Maddie that, you know, the two of you are sitting down and really knocking out content that yep. has a greater impact yep. is, that's one of the biggest wins for me to hear you reflect on that. So that's one piece, right? Of So I think about sort of like the big, the big thing is this communications, right? And then like one part of the pie chart is digital. One part of digital is your Instagram. Mm -hmm. Another part is what I think of like is dark Instagram, Paid ads. We, yeah. Can yeah. we just talk about that Absolutely. for a second? So I did not know that you could pay for ads on Instagram and they didn't have to go on your feed. Yes. A lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that because what they get this sucked into good. first is a boosted post. Yes. Yeah. That's 
I, you know, unless you're optimizing for engagements, usually your boosted posts are not doing that much better for your That is not worth And you're like sliding the thing. Should I spend $25 yeah. or $30 for four days? Don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There are a lot of self-teaching resources or I do teach Instagram ads uh, for CPGs. And it's really important to understand that Facebook has so many options that you can optimize for. Um, so you can look for, you know, one of the best ones to do right now as you're introducing consumers to your brand is video views. And we actually ran a campaign, Maddie and I, for Havens, um, optimizing for video views. And we used a video that really introduced what we felt was Havens kitchen sauces at their best. So it was a seasonal recipe, culinary, but easy, mm-hmm. fun, you know, quick video. And then what you're doing is warming up an audience. So we did it for a new retailer launch and we warmed up that audience by showing them this video. Video views are relatively cheap uh, to get right right now, especially. Um, I learned from the great team at Ben & Jerry's when I was first uh, a... Unilever acquired brand that you should always do some of the newer options on Instagram and Facebook ads. So Instagram story, right? Because there's little competition and big brands take a while. I tried with IGTV, but I couldn't, I just couldn't, I didn't know the difference really between stories and IGTV. So I ended up just kind of not dealing. Yeah. It's slight differences, but uh, you know, I think going somewhere new is always, right. uh, Is always a good pick. And so, um, you know, Instagram story ads right now, especially if you've got a direct to consumer brand, the swipe up to shop feature is one of the best ways to drive traffic affordably right now in a very crowded space. Um, so we were doing video views, which then warms up this audience, uh, warming them up, meaning that they've seen your video. And is that the only metric that you're looking at? Just eyeballs on it? Um, the way Maddie and I did it, we actually ran a second follow-up deepen, deepening campaign, um, driving awareness of that specific retailer. Right. And we targeted people who had watched more than half of the video. Got it. So it's not just that they like saw one second of it, which you can target those people. I think you really want to target people who were kept on page. I right. think that's better bang for your buck because those people are more yeah. likely to have actually engaged with your brand and remembered it. Um, and then you're following up and giving them another message. Uh, you know, people say you need six or seven brand impressions to understand the brand. Right. Uh, my good pal our, Pat Jume told yeah, me that. For us, it's probably going to be like 10. Right. And yeah. so if it's brand new, you've never even heard of it, seen it on the shelf. And you've never seen a product like it. And you've never yeah. seen a product like it. You might need even more than right. that. So um, yeah, so that's some of the, that's and none of that was on the feed, quote unquote. No, right. Because I was always kind of reluctant to have like promoted, you right. know, that kind of thing. But yes. so people just see it, which is very cool. Um, and you can be very specific about who sees it. Who sees it. Yeah. So what we did was we targeted shoppers in the certain zip codes that were served by the retailer. Um, and we called out the retailer. So really, you know, we're, we're serving these ads to the people most likely to um, be relevant shoppers there. And, and it's sort of like a bus ad or a billboard right. that you can turn on and off. Um, and you can run for $50, which as someone who (laughs) worked on an out of home campaign, you cannot do that, uh, for $50. It's so expensive. So for smaller brands, growing brands, um, being able to turn those on and turn them on in a smart way is really uh, impactful to warm them up. And so if I, if I was a small jerky brand and I am listening to you and I'm like, okay, so I did not know that I could run dark Instagram ads. Do you think video is stronger than static? I think if you're a small brand, it's very overwhelming to hear that you have to do video. And I would tell you that you should test the best creative that you have 
and see how it does. So you can run static image ads and, and you will just get a different CPM, which is your cost per thousand impressions. And, and you can look up, you know, industry benchmarks to see how your ads are performing, or you can ask a friend in the industry. Um, so you can tell, so you could run three images of the jerky, yes. one with like me eating the jerky, mm-hmm. one of like the cow holding the jerky and whatever, yeah. the jerky. One, a jerky smoothie right. bowl, right? Who knows? <laughs> and then you can run all three of them yes. and then you can look back at Facebook and it will tell you which one got the most eyeballs. Yes. And I very much did test and learn when I was with Sir Kensington's. As I said, I took right. on digital marketing as sort of like another hat that was offered to me. Yep. And I did a lot of test and learn with small budgets in the beginning. And that's a lot of how I learned what worked for our specific brand right. and, and what sort of best practices worked in condiments. But yep. I've worked on digital ads for snacks, for desserts, for beverage now, and different things work differently. Yeah. And even when I take on a new client, I say, I, I want to test and learn first. You want me to spend right. $5,000 this month? I think it's better actually if we run these five right. $200 campaigns and get some bench line be- or benchmarks because you don't have yeah. any data and this is your first time. It I don't want to blow sense. your money on So I think that's new. really good concrete advice. Take three great images. Everyone's got three great yeah. images, right? Write a little bit of good copy. Mm-hmm. Try to have that copy ladder up to some sort of like basic communication about who you are. Have it be really simple, but like pithy, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Can you tell me what you think either some brands that are doing it well, and I know that it really, we had this conversation too. The problem with asking for brands that are doing it well is that it's so, there's no, there's like no path to follow. Like you can't just identify a path that's doing it well, you know, Mm -hmm. a brand that's doing it well and be like, I'm just going to do what they do because it works for their brand in their category with their consumer. Um, So maybe if you have any that are, you know, that you'd like to call out, that'd be great. But maybe the reverse is more helpful. Like what do you see brands doing that, that you would say, you know what, I would back off of that, take a moment to regroup and then start again. Yeah. I, I think, um, I'll start with the non examples. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think it's really important to identify yourself as a brand. I see so many brands operating like bloggers out there and I think it doesn't get your point across. So how does that, how does that? I think I see a lot of like really basic, sorry to use that word, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, in the worst way, basic pumpkin spice latte, basic, like marble slab, blogger bowl, and there is no branding in the frame at all. And the copy is just like tuna Tuesday. And it's like taco. Are you a brand or what are you selling? You have no idea what they're doing. And yes, you might be getting likes and you might be getting followers, but what are you saying and doing? We, and then that's a very good point that you bring up because we notice that when we put the pouch in the picture, we do get a lot fewer likes. And, you know, we're sort of like, I guess people don't like to be sold to, but it's a little bit of a catch-22 because if you don't put the pouch in the picture, no one knows that you're selling anything and why it's there. Right. So does that kind of go to maybe not looking as much for the likes? Yeah, I think likes... And engagement generally are hard, especially depending on who your follower base is. And I think we've talked about this for Haven specifically. Mm -hmm. You have a big following for your age of brand because you have a lot of events followers, you have a lot of cafe followers, you have a lot of longtime fans of your brand and some of the other things that you do. So they might not even yet know what the pouch means. Right. And I think that's what we've talked about before 
educating people on the sauce as an extension of the mother brand of mm-hmm. Havens. The brand is so key, and and you will see over time um, that. M- your, if you have the right followers, they actually engage with all your content the same. Yeah. And and what you, I am a big believer of quality followers over quantity of followers. Because yeah. I think if you're talking to 20,000 people who really, really are the perfect fit for your jerky or kombucha yeah. or your eggs, I think they will be more meaningful. Yeah. For me, I think social media is an amazing tool to really deepen engagement versus Broadening your audience can be done very easily and cheaply through those dark ads that we talked about, but I actually would rather see a social media account that's for the in-group already, and you will attract people to that, but by following along, they're joining the group. And doing so as, as you said, a brand, not like a blogger. Yes. Like letting it be clear that this is you're selling something. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And they'll know that, that you are, um, if they understand at all who your brand is. And I think, um, you know, there are a lot of brands out there that are, are doing amazing things and different brands are doing, uh, things well and things less well. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the brands I see out there, that's the strongest right now in terms of their brand identity really shining is matcha bar. Mm -hmm. I think, when you follow their account or when you even stumble across the content that they create, their stories, you really get who the product is for. Yeah. You get what the product is doing, what the functional benefits are. It's fun. It's vibrant. Yeah, it it's definitely has like an energy vibe. Such a good yeah. energy. And they, do they post beautiful matcha lattes every day? Right. No, actually. Yeah. They rarely do. Yeah. They are really putting their energy forward. And I think they are seeing success on Instagram. And, and I think even if they don't have a million followers like some brands might have, um, you, after following them for just a short time, can really regurgitate the brand messages. Yep. And I think that yeah. is more important. I, you know, I don't care if my photo gets 100 likes. If I took a survey of 5% of my followers and they could pick my brand messages out of a lineup, that's much more important because one. those people are going to turn around and evangelize for my brand in a way that a brand Instagram can't yep. actually do. No, that makes total sense. Okay, last couple of questions. So what do you think people are getting tired of on Instagram? Like what would you say we need to avoid? I think oversharing uh, is something you know that people are getting a little tired of. I think people really love Instagram story, but you have to do it respectfully because mm-hmm. you are like not into, have a hundred little dashes yeah, don't go the for a hundred yeah, right. <laughs> and don't do it every day yeah but you know I love what Havens does telling like cooking stories and those are Instagram stories so great because they don't have to be really polished no. you and Maddie can make those in the kitchen <laughs> and I actually like make some of those recipes and right. I see them and they're really easy to do and I think um another great example perfect bar does like um, they're inside the office Q and a type of stuff and mm-hmm. they only do it like one day a week. And I actually like look forward to seeing what's new from them right. talking about their family and you know, their family business and they talk about different flavors and they talk FAQs and all that. And it's not every day. I think we get nervous that if we don't kind of keep up with it, that we're not going to be at the top of your feed. Yeah. I, I you think, know? I just think again, this one is quantity over quality right. because when I start to see you mean the other oh, way. Oh, I mean yeah. the other way, yes, because <laughs> quality over quantity. Yeah. Because when I start to see a brand all the time, then I put them on mute or I unfollow. Yep. And I think a lot of people know how to mute brands yes. and know how to mute even influencers. Uh, you know, if you're really clogging up, it, it just becomes yep. such a crowded yep. space and I can't watch it all. It makes sense. Um, 
Okay, last question. Well, second to last question. What do you think, um, like, what do you wish we would all do earlier? Like, you go into so many of our brands, and I'm sure that there's sort of a commonality, right, that you see. And, like, what, what do you wish you could sort of, if you were starting a brand today, what would you do that you feel like we've missed? I think um, as I work with brands who are at launch, which I do have a good good amount of clients who are launching, I really respect the choice to invest in a in a communications plan early. Right. And and I you know, I think it is definitely when you have limited funds, it's like oh should I choose to spend on this? I try to make it as affordable as possible. Yeah. But I think rather than waiting five or nine or 10 years to sort mm-hmm. through the clutter, yep. to really set out some things that you stand for and to to orient your brand towards them, it will make all the content that you create right. and all the engagement that you're doing and all the sell sheets and the decks, yeah. it will actually make it, it make feel your better. t-shirts. I mean, we, right. like, uh, it, I mean, and it's different than a visual strategy, right? Yeah. But they're completely connected, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if we were going for like the sexy sauce vibe, we wouldn't have like the font yeah. that we use or yeah. anything like that. So it really does all speak to itself. Okay. What's the most fun you've had in all of your years of creating communication strategies oh, for wow. everyone? Um, <laughs> like what's the moment? I Clearly it has to do with some sort of aha. I think um, once I was showing a communication strategy to a founder and, and the uh, specifically the founder was not the person who engaged me. It was someone else on the team that was excited about working with me. And we had to kind of pitch the founder, like Mm -hmm. they didn't really want to do it. And I was showing them just phase one, right? I hadn't even come up with the structure yet. It was holding the mirror up for them. And he cried. Wow. He cried and he was like, wow, you see what we're trying to do. And I can't wait for you to put words. I always say words to the brand truth. Yeah. I don't think he probably used that, but, no, but he basically point. expressed like, "I'm." You see us in a way that we've kind of muddled, and I'm so excited for you to like bring yeah. this to life. And that brand is so happy and excited about their strategy. And yeah. when I look at their Instagram, I'm like, "Wow!" Every day, right. it's like I see these messages, yeah. and I saw them at a trade show, and one of the lines I wrote was right. like big on their booth. Yeah, and that's like, awesome. It was really cool to yeah. see that and and to feel that um, that I was doing that work. Yeah. And, and that that is really, I mean, maybe that's not fun. I no, know. it's pretty. I mean, a it's weird awesome. Sense it's of a fun, great but it was really gratifying and, yeah. and fulfilling. All right, Allison, thank you so much thank for you, being on this episode of In the Sauce. Um, if people want to reach out to you, best way is probably to DM you at yeah. what dot Allison with two L's dot eats. Yes, that's probably Instagram. your best. And my email is there as well if you want to click the email Great. button on awesome. my Instagram. Okay. And if, you know, as always, if uh, I love when you guys DM me and just sort of say what was helpful and what you're looking for. So feel free to DM me too. Um, you can DM Haven's Kitchen or Allie underscore Haven's Kitchen because thanks to Allison, I got my own freaking Instagram. <laughs> okay. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.